0: Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. What we're talking about today is the difference between motive and motion. Uh, Zig Ziglar, one of my favorite authors, says that motivation works like this the carrot has to be sweet enough, the stick has to be long enough, and the donkey has to be hungry enough. Listen to that again. The carrot has to be sweet enough, the stick has to be long enough, and the donkey has to be hungry enough. If the donkey isn't hungry, he doesn't care about the carrot. If the donkey can reach the carrot, it won't motivate him to move. If if he eats the carrot and it isn't sweet, He's not going to move. All three of those things need to happen for the donkey to move. Now, if you're listening, that means that Zig Ziglar has compared all of us to donkeys. Just thought you'd like to know that. What does this mean? Well, this means that many of us talk about moving. That would be motive. And yet we never move. That would be motion. So this morning... I was supposed to get up and ride the bike. And I have to tell you something. I did not ride the bike this morning. I have not ridden my bicycle since the crash in May. You may say, why? Well, the whole reason I practice all winter long is so I can ride outside in the summer. Remember last year I rode from Mullica Hill to Ocean City. I love riding my bike. But if I can't ride outside, the carrot is no longer... Sweet enough. I haven't been to the gym, you ready for this, since June. Why, you say, Doc? You always go to the gym. Because of the accident, I can't grab the weights and pick them up. The stick isn't long enough. Now, I tell you this because some of you, and myself included... Don't want to go to work tomorrow morning. Raise your hand if you've ever said on a Monday morning, I don't want to go. Those that don't have their hands up might be confessing to sin later on, right? (laughs) Right? We've all been there. I'm too tired, or my boss is mean, or we're doing the same darn thing over and over and getting no result. We've all been there. Now, psychology tells us that there's two types of of motivation. One is extrinsic, extrinsic. it's outward motivation, right? And that's what a lot of us work for. That's the money at the the end. You get your paycheck because we all like to eat. We all like to have a roof over our heads. We like our cars to work. We need to pay for medications and cable TV and all of that. And if we go to work and we do most of our job, they'll write us a check and then we can have all of that stuff. That's an extrinsic, there it is, motivation. It's from the outside. Now, if your boss said, by the way, we still want you to come to work, but we don't have any more money to pay you, would you still go? Thank you, Kim, no, we wouldn't go. If you're not paying me, why am I gonna give you 40, 50, 60 hours a week. I'm either going to find something else or I'm just going to wait until you have money to pay me. That's an extrinsic motivation. I know about you. When I was a young lad, I worked at uh, a ham factory right over in Pensauken, Sandy Mac Farms. Come Friday at 2 o'clock, I had worked a 12-hour shift and I, I wanted to go home. But if the boss came over and said, Madison, you want overtime time and a half, all of a sudden the very tired Madison who was thinking about going home was thinking about cashing a check with time and a half. We've all been there. That's extrinsic motivation. It only works, we're back to the carrot, it only works if the carrot is sweet enough. Now Peter was in his boat cleaning his nets. We know that he had fished all night long. And I don't know why fishermen tell you this, but they tell you the best time to catch the fish is early in the morning or at dusk. But they usually go in the morning, right? And he hadn't caught anything. And he and his brother and John and James are all cleaning their nets. They're getting ready for the next night. Now, if you were a fisherman and your extrinsic motivation was... And you had caught no fish, how happy would you to be cleaning all the little plants and the sticks and the occasional converse sneaker that somebody had thrown into the Sea of Galilee, right? And all that stuff you find sometimes on the bottom of the lake that shouldn't ought to be there. He is not a happy fisherman. And this guy that he's heard about but never really met gets in his boat and says, paddle me out a little bit so I can speak to these people. The last thing Peter wanted to do was get in the boat and row Jesus out. He wanted to clean his nets and go home. That's also extrinsic motivation because he wanted to go home, have his breakfast or dinner or whatever you eat after night shift, Put his head on the pillow and get ready for the next. So, I won't ask you to raise your hand on this, but sometimes you have stayed up too late on a Saturday night. And come Sunday morning, you have said, I don't want to go. That's exactly where Peter was. So Jesus didn't give him an option. He didn't say, do you want to go to church? He got in the boat and made Peter go to church, made him listen to the entire sermon. And then afterwards he says, why don't you put your net out on the right side of the boat, which I think is a wonderful pun. you got the right side and the left side, or you got the right side and the wrong side. So he says, put it out on the right side. Peter says, I have not caught any fish all night. But because you said it, I will. Now we're moving to a different kind of motivation. Extrinsic is when you get something money, time off, time and a half. You're going to get something for what you do. Extrinsic is when you reward yourself from the inside out. I want you to hear that. Because you said it, I will. Peter now has heard Jesus speak. We don't even, I, I would love to know what the sermon was that changed Peter's heart at that moment. We, we won't know that until we get to heaven. It's one of my questions. Right after, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Some people say yes, some people, I'd like to know, right? Intrinsic is when you reward yourself. The uh, coach of the Olympic weightlifting team was asked, what made weightlifters, what, what, what did they have to do to reach that level of competence? He said, well, you know, it's the things you think about. You have to show up every day. You have to work hard. You have to eat right. You have to get all sleep, water, all of those things that we all know about. And then he said this, you have to be willing to deal with the boredom. And the the person said, what what does that mean? He said, imagine the amount of reps they have to do over and over and over to build that muscle to be able to lift those heavy weights at the Olympics. Sometimes, friends, the Christian life feels a little bit boring and like we're doing the same thing over and over and over. That's how Peter felt when he's going to go throw his net into a lake that he certain has no fish. But because you said it, I will. Well, you know the rest of the story. They throw the net over the side, and he probably didn't give it a good toss. He just probably sort of gave it a little wing, but God was in charge here, not Peter. He's got a net so full of fish It begins to sink his boat. The weight of the net is pulling his boat under. He calls his partner out. They grab the other side of the net. It's beginning to sink both boats. I want you to hear that. Jesus blessed them with so many fish that it was heavier than both of their boats. Both boats begin to sink. sink. They pull it into shore. And in Matthew's version of this, Peter throws himself on his knees and says, Depart from me. For I am an unclean man. You, you are a miraculous God and I am a sinner. And we've all been in that place. And if we haven't been, we need to be in that place. And that's when Jesus calls Peter to be a fisher of men. What motivates you is the question that we have to ask here now. Bill Heibel says that this is a five-part test for leadership. Um, In his book, Uh, Lead Like Jesus, he says there are five questions here, five tests that Peter passed that we all need to to give ourselves a checkup from the neck up. So here we go. Test number one is do you have a bias for action? A bias for action. What does that mean? That means when a task, an activity, To build the church of Jesus Christ is laid before you. Do you grab it and run with it? Or do you wait for somebody else to pick it up? It's like watching sometimes five-year-olds play t-ball. First, the kids are swinging at the tee. And if they finally connect with the t-ball, everybody is surprised. Yes, have you seen this? Surprised. And maybe the ball trickles out towards the pitcher's position. And what do all the little five-year-olds do? They look at the ball. Look at that. He hit the ball. And it's laying there on the grass until somebody, maybe a dad or a mom or an uncle or the coach is shouting, pick up the ball. And one of the kids picks it up. And what's he do? He looks at it again. Like, look, I got the ball. Well, good news is the kid who hit the ball is equally as surprised and he's watching all of this happen. He hasn't taken one step towards first base yet. So we've got a kid with a bat looking confused and we've got a kid with a ball saying, I got the ball and nothing is happening. And friends, that is what happens in the life of most churches. One kid is looking at the ball, one kid is confused about what to do And then we wonder, why are the seats empty? Why are people not coming? Because we are not demonstrating, test number one, a bias for action. If I I were going to write this passage, I might say, be an er. What do you mean? Be an er, an E-R. Be a doer, be a singer, be a reader, be a talker. Be an er. God has gifted each one of us with a different er. Yes? Yes? Are we using it for the kingdom, or are we just watching the ball roll by? Test number one is a bias for action. Test number two, probably, in my opinion as a teacher, the most important is the can you follow directions test. We believe that the book has the directions for all of our lives. I've been told that since I was a little boy over at Emanuel Methodist in Oak Lynn. You've been told it your whole life that you've been in church. All the answers to life questions are in the book. Now, I have to say, I did flippantly teach my children that all ice cream is the answer to all of life's questions. But the truth is, the Bible is. And yet your average person in a pew no longer even brings their Bible to church, let alone knows what's in it. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Are we memorizing scripture so that we can say, thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against God? Well, the other thing we need to say is, thy word have I hid in my heart, so I know where to go, and I'm going in that direction. Imagine the difference in the story if Jesus had said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and Peter said, you don't know anything about fishing, I am the expert fisherman here. Now that you're done your sermon, I'm going to clean my nets and go home. Imagine. And yet, when God puts a task before most members of his church, that's the answer. The third test he talks about, Bill Hybels talks about, is this. A who deserves the credit test. Who deserves the credit? So imagine this picture. There are still milling around after Jesus' talk. It's what I like to call the after-the-meeting meeting. meeting. Um, when we leave church today and we go outside, there'll be one or two groups in the parking lot in a little circle, and that they're meeting after the meeting. The after-the-meeting meeting. So, there were a multitude of people, and they're all milling around, discussing perhaps what Jesus said, or where they want to go for dinner after, or Is this Applebee's faster than that, Friendly's? You know, all the things we talk about after church. And then Peter rows out. Nobody's paying attention. Peter and Andrew throw the net over. Nobody's paying attention. And all of a sudden, this huge amount of fish, more fish than they've probably ever seen, in one boat at a time comes up, and these two fishermen are out in the Sea of Galilee jumping up and down and shouting for help because their boat is getting ready to sink. Now, Vicky and I, on occasion, by accident, have flipped our canoe. And that's embarrassing to have your canoe flip over. Imagine to have your boat sinking. That is your livelihood. Now, all those people who are having the after-the-meeting meeting are looking at this boat full of fish, then the other boat goes out. It's, uh, it's just like a car accident on 295. Even though you know you shouldn't slow down and look, what does everybody do? Slow down and look. And now they get to see this miracle, and these fishermen come in with this huge load of fish. And some of us, pastors included, would put our hands on our hips, assume a superman pose, and say, I am the world's greatest fisherman. Behold my catch. It's not what Peter did. Peter ran to Jesus, threw himself on his knees, and said, Depart from me. I am an unclean man. Who gets the credit? Peter immediately, immediately gave Jesus the credit. I have a a pastor friend with a 3,000 member congregation. He is one of the most humble men I know. He never takes credit for the number of people that are in his church. His only goal is to preach the gospel, and he celebrates every time a new person comes to the Lord. I have another friend with an 11,000-person congregation. They start church on Friday night. They have it all day Saturday and all day Sunday. He preaches nine and ten times in a weekend. 11,000 people. One of the most humble men I know because he points all of the credit to God. The third test is the who gets the credit test. The fourth test is the grander vision test. Now that Jesus has preached the sermon, Peter has seen the power of God, Peter has recognized his insignificance in front of the power of God. Jesus gives him the grander vision test. No longer will you be a fisherman. I'll make you a fisher of men. Peter, there's more than your lake. There's more than your boat. There's more than the fish. There is a whole world that needs to hear the good news. And I need you to catch that grander vision. There's more than Kings, there's more than Cherry Hill. There's more than Camden County or Gloucester County or the state of New Jersey. The Church of Jesus Christ needs to cast a wider vision and a bigger net. And the fifth test, probably the hardest one, is the will you leave it test. Peter, can you catch the vision? Can you see yourself as a fisher of men? What are you willing to pay for it? What are you willing to give up? If I ask you to leave your home, would you leave your home? If I ask you to leave your family, would you leave your family? If I ask you to take a significant pay cut, perhaps you're up here and you're the vice president of making widgets and I want you to be a missionary over here. And teach the people in Haiti or the Dominican Republic or some other faraway place to make widgets, would you be willing to take the pay cut? It's an interesting question. Now, Bill Heibel's narrows these down to really five, uh, five one word descriptions of the test. The first test is courage, the second is obedience, the third is humility. I'll go over these again. The fourth is wisdom, and the fifth is love. That's what Jesus is looking for, people with courage, people who are obedient, people who are humble, give the credit to God, people who are wise, wise enough to know who they are and what they can do and what they can't do. And the fifth test is people who love. what gets you out of bed in the morning? That's the question. Do you have a motive for your life? Now, I want you to hear this. Most of us who aren't retired still have to get up every day and go to work. God can work through you at your job, and God wants you to Provide for your family. He wants you to pay your bills. He wants you to be an upstanding member of the community. Paul writes that throughout his letters. Be a person of good report. But after you have done that, what are you doing with the rest? Are you being an er? Are you being a doer, a giver, a singer, a worker? My friend Dave Coriel, the, the General Secretary of Word, World Christian Endeavor, reminds at every time he talks, are you a hippo, a consumer, or a honeybee, a builder? I, thank goodness, am not going to give you the leadership test. It's already been out there. But this week in your prayer life and your study, I want you to ask yourself, Do I have a bias for action? Do I follow directions? Uh, Do I give God the credit for the miraculous things that happen in my life? Do I have a grander vision for the work of myself and this church and this community? And finally, I'm willing Two and we've talked about these four. get to that third line of faith. The 24-7. I'm going to devote my life, my heart, my vision, my Ur to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Like the uh, stories told about a man who was interviewing and uh, the interviewer was known for being a little bit combative and argumentative and he, he ran up during the interview and he got right in the guy's face and he said... What is the meaning of your life? And the man looked right back and shouted, I'm going to heaven and I'm taking as many people with me as I can. Do you have a motive? Do you have a purpose for your life? Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishes of men. Amen.